I'll be reading from Matthew 6, 33 through 34. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has, caught, has enough trouble of its own. Yeah, you guys can definitely be seated. I won't want you to stand through the whole lesson. That would be awkward for me, too. So, appreciate it if you sit back down. Thanks for the shout-out on the PowerPoint, Kelton. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah, we'll get rid of that. Anyway, a few announcements this morning. If you haven't noticed, I'm not Chris. I'm a little bit shorter, a little bit younger, and a whole lot more hair up here. So, Chris is gone. He's in Great Falls. Um, Gordon Naylor is served in ministry in the state for nearly 50 years and has served as an elder in Great Falls for many years. And so they are having a celebration of all his service in the state over in Great Falls. And so Chris is partaking in that this morning. And so he'll be traveling. The family will be traveling. Keep them in your prayers. Another announcement. I have to uh, apologize because the Belgrade Church of Christ marketing department has failed and there is no door hangers for the Sunday night for the Savior. That was all me. I was supposed to get those done, and I didn't. So, if you're coming to Sunday night for the Savior tonight, you don't get to hang things on doors. That's my bad. Um, A final note that I'd like to mention today is that uh, Roots is holding a summer barbecue. There's flyers in the back, and this is open not only to the Roots and Reach crew, but to anybody that would like to attend. It's going to happen at Pond Park this next Friday, June 9th. So if you would like to attend, just come hang out, have some burgers, uh, play some volleyball, just have a good time with some good fellowship. That's going to be 7 o'clock this next Friday. So anybody that would like to come hang out, have a barbecue with us, you're definitely welcome. Um, If you're not in the Roots or Reach age group, just let me know so we can kind of count how many people are coming. So that's all the announcements I had this morning. So let's get started with a prayer. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we want to thank you and praise you this morning, Lord. This opportunity to get together as a group of like-minded individuals who come together to serve, to worship, and to study your word, Lord, is amazing. To have that freedom to, to be able to fellowship together, Lord. Mindful of each one of us, I know that we're all broken people that all have imperfections, all have sins, and all have trials we face each and every day, Lord. And I pray that you strengthen us through those storms, you comfort us, and you help us grow through each and every trial we're given, Lord. Be with us each and every day. Help us to shine as lights in this dark world that every person we come in contact with knows that we're different and knows that you're the reason we are. And Lord, I pray that you be with me this morning as I speak and that I take your scripture and I speak words of wisdom through it and people can continue to grow through it, Lord. It's in Christ's name. Amen. So I must confess, I really didn't know what to talk about this morning. I had lots of things I wanted to talk about, but I wasn't really sure why. And so I kind of was thinking about what I should talk about and I realized I just need to read some scripture and see what God wants me to talk about. And so through this thinking process, I noticed there's this reoccurrence when it comes to Scripture. And over the past two weeks, this reoccurrence has been Matthew 5 through 7. If you guys are familiar with that, that's the Sermon on the Mount. 
And literally, it seems like every day for the past two weeks, whether it's been in Bible studies with other people, personal studies, my own prayer life, anything like that, it seems that the Sermon on the Mount just kept popping up in some small fraction, one way or another. And so almost every conversation I had with somebody regarding Scripture ended up in Matthew 5 through 7. And so I, I wasn't really sure what that meant. But then on Wednesday, Chris mentioned something. He's like, so what are you going to talk about? And I said, I, I don't know. It's only Wednesday, right? And he said, you know, you should just take some Scripture. And I was like, that's what I was thinking. And he's like, you know what's really good scripture is the Sermon on the Mount. I was like, okay, fine. I guess we're going to be in Matthew 5 through 7. So that's kind of the process that ended me where I'm at today. So that's a great piece of scripture if you guys have ever read it. These chapters are great. It's Jesus speaking. And so there's a lot of great knowledge here. But I had a really tough time accepting that I should be preaching a sermon that Jesus already preached Because if I know anything, it's Jesus says stealing is bad, and I'm stealing his lesson, right? I'm stealing Jesus' sermon. So hopefully I'll be good, and there won't be any repercussions for me stealing Jesus' sermon today. But I'm not stealing it. So when you read through the Sermon on the Mount, um, I kind of see different sections appearing when you read through this section of Scripture. And we're going to look at a few bits and pieces of that this morning. But if you look at the first section, um, kind of what I see is the introduction. We have the Beatitudes, um, why, why Christ has come to the earth, things like that. It's very introductory um, to the sermon that Jesus is giving. And then from what I see next is it turns into what to do. Or what not to do is kind of what the next section is, right? These are the Beatitudes. This is what's good. This is why I'm here. Don't do these things. And then it turns into this is what you should be doing. Here's good qualities. And then what I see in the last section on the Sermon on the Mount is how to continually live those good qualities. How to keep living a Christian life. How to keep glorifying God. And how to keep growing. And that's kind of the progression in the different pieces I observed in Matthew's, Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount here. And so go ahead, feel free and flip your Bibles open to Matthew uh, 5. We're going to be in chapters 6 and 7 today. So if you would like to read along, we're going to be reading quite a bit there. So yeah, flip your Bibles open to Matthew 6 and 7. And you can kind of take a look at uh, the things I was mentioning there about the different pieces, the different sections that I observed here in the Sermon on the Mount. So when I looked through this, obviously I can't steal all of Jesus' lesson. We'd be here all day. But one, one section that really did kind of stand out to me is that last one that I mentioned. And that's why we're going to be kind of in 6 and 7. And so how I observed it is how to continue living a Christian life. That's how I read that. And so what I think I'm going to be talking about is covering some of those things that are in in that section. Now, obviously, I can't cover all of chapter 6 and 7 this morning either. So I encourage you to read through this, read through the entire Sermon on the Mount, and especially focus on 6 and 7, and keep thinking about that goal of continually living a Christian life, continually growing and continually serving God. So when I went through this section, 
I broke it down into more pieces. And that's what I am titling today's lesson, Seek, Ask, Do. And those are three themes that I caught out of chapters 6 and 7 of Matthew that I thought occurred and reoccurred and popped right out. So seek, ask, do. And we're going to break each one of those down a little bit and read some scripture from them this morning. And I think, I think it's a really good title. I think it fits in with some of the scripture really, really well. And I think it's a great way to guide us in that goal of continually living a Christian life. So if you would, open your Bibles, chapter 6. We are going to start about midway through in verse 25 with our first one, seek. So if you would, flip your Bibles open there, Matthew 6, 25. This first section of scripture I'm going to be reading will be verses 25 through 34. I love it if you follow along. Let's read the scripture. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, How they grow, they neither toil or spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles will seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. All right. Seek. That scripture we just read points out one major thing right away, right? Don't be anxious. And that's, that's easy, right? Super easy to do that. You guys agree? It's easy to say, don't be anxious. I can tell you not to be anxious. But no, it's not easy to not be anxious, right? To be completely free of angst, we have to give every aspect of our lives to God. Every little bit. We can't worry about any piece of it. And that's what makes it hard. That's the difference between saying, don't be anxious, and giving it all to God is hard. It requires a lot of sacrifice from us. But we can trust God to do this. Right? Verses 28 through 32, he gives us an example about this. Let's read that section again. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they'll neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles even seek these things, and your heavenly Father knows them all. 
So what do we see in those verses? So first we're told not to be anxious. But in those verses, we have comfort because we know why not to be anxious, right? Because if we give it to God, God's got it. And he gives us a really good example of that. When he's talking about the grass of the field, grass isn't that important. It's here today, it withers tomorrow, and it's burned up the next. God even closed the grass. So we are much more important than the grass of the field, right? We're his creation, we're his people. Of course he cares for us. And he knows our every need. We can find great comfort in that. That's the only way that we can not be anxious, right? When we're told to do not be anxious, the only way to do that is to completely sacrifice us and give it to God because God's got it, whatever it is. So what's that mean? If we're giving it all to God, we're not being anxious, how do we apply that? Maybe we should just not plan anything or think anything through. Make sure we waste all of our finances. I don't think that's what that's saying, right? God requires us to be a steward. He wants us to live a life that's glorifying to him. And if we're just wasteful, that's, that's not very effective, is it? But we need to always have the mindset of giving it to God first, trusting in him. Because if there's anything I continually observe each and every day, it's that I'm not in control. <laughs> there's so many things that are far beyond my control in this life. And if I was in control, I would be such a mess, right? But God's in control, and he's got it all. Give it all to God. What we see here is in a... Verse 32, let me make sure here. Verse 32, it says, For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows what we need. He's got it covered. But the things that the Gentiles sought, we can easily seek too. We can seek clothes, we can seek food, we can seek comfort, and all of these things. But we need to seek Him, not the things. Because the things will come because of him. We don't need to be worried about the end goal. We need to be worried about the beginning. So seek him, not things. I think that's a really good motto to live your life by. Seek God, not things. Seek him, not things. This scripture definitely shows us that. So seek is an interesting word. I don't know how often we actually use that in today's culture. Um, we are familiar with what it means, but we don't really use it that often. And so the boring dictionary definition that I looked up, I Googled it. It says attempt to find. That's a really boring definition. But that is seeking, right? Attempt to find. When I think of seek, I think of a much more interesting definition, much more fun definition. I think of hide and seek. That's automatically what I think of when somebody says seek. I think of hide and seek. And who all has played hide and seek? 
Everybody in this room has probably played hide-and-seek before, right? Good job, Vicky. You've played hide-and-seek. But what do you do in hide-and-seek? Someone hides, and then they are attempted to be found. So yes, it's, it's defining the word. But hide-and-seek is what I think of, right, when I think of seek. And so when I think of hide-and-seek, I think of an amazing hide-and-seek story. And really, this is just an excuse for me to tell you my amazing hide-and-seek story. But before I was here, I was in Oklahoma. I worked at a church called Boulevard. And this is something we do here at Belgrade, too, is with the roots and the reach and the teens. Sometimes we'll turn off all the lights in this building and we'll have mega hide-and-seeks throughout the whole building. Sometimes we'll play sardines and different examples of it. But hide-and-seek is fun in the dark in a building. And the Belgrade crew is pretty good. They have pretty fun time playing hide-and-seek. But at Boulevard, we took it to the next level. Or at least I took it to the next level one time. So I remember we were playing hide-and-seek. We turned off all the lights. And at Boulevard, our baptistry was kind of on the stage right here. And there was a little door where you could access all of the hardware for plumbing and all of that stuff. And so I decided I'm going to climb in that door that I shouldn't have even tried to get in. But I got in there. And I get in there and I realize, hey, I can crawl around behind the baptistry between the wall and the tub. They will never, ever find me there. It's true. They, they never, ever found me there. So probably about half an hour, 45 minutes goes by. By this point, uh, they have texted me multiple times, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I can hear you. I'm in the building. Um, lights are on. They're searching all over the place because they know I'm in the building, but they can't figure out where. And eventually, I wiggle my way out, of the stupid place that I shouldn't have got in in the first place, climb out the door, and everybody's just amazed that I was back there because multiple people opened that door to see if I was there. But I I wiggled my way back around the edge of the tub. So, funny hide-and-seek story aside, what's my point with that? They were truly seeking me. They turned on the lights. There was no other distractions. They wanted to find me because there was no way that I was actually in the building, but they, they knew I was, so they had to find me. They were truly seeking me. Nothing else was on their radar. They were giving every single ounce of effort to attempt to find me. And that, that really got me thinking, because if I was the number one thing they were trying to find in that situation, I was seek Seek ye first herald, essentially, in the hide-and-seek story. How do we apply that to the next verse that we just read? Verse 33. Matthew 6:33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God? You mean like always? In everything I have to seek the kingdom of God first? That's tough. I don't know if I want to seek first the kingdom of God in every single aspect of my life. Right? And I don't know why, but over these past two weeks, when I've been accidentally hopping into the Sermon on the Mount, seek ye first the kingdom of God hit me more than it's ever hit me before. Because if we're seeking first the kingdom of God... Our priorities always have to lay that way. 
That's hard. That's really hard. Every action, every day, every decision, how am I going to seek first the kingdom of God? Just thinking about that gives you a whole new perspective on how to live your life, right? And I know I can work on that for sure. I don't know about you guys. Maybe you guys are really good at seeking first in everything you do, the kingdom of God. But I'm not. I like to seek me, me first quite often. And I know I can work on that. But I need to continually have that mindset of seeking first the kingdom of God. So seek. That's the first theme I saw here. I'm going to try to apply that to my daily life every single minute of every day. Seek first the kingdom of God. The next little theme I saw here in Matthew 6 and 7 was ask. Seek and then ask. See if you would, let's read another piece of scripture here. I'm going to hop down to verse 7 of chapter 7. So we're skipping a little section. Again, I can't cover everything in here today. But let's read verses 7 through 11 of chapter 7 here in Matthew. Read along with me. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for some bread, will just give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask of him? I see a pretty definite theme right here. I see ask. Ask it of God, and it will be taken care of. Right there in the end it says, How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask for him? Ask it of God. Give it to him. What's this require? It requires talking to God, first off. And it requires being humble. Because it takes a lot of humility to ask for help. Ask for something you need. Ask it of God. We have another great example, giving this a real-world example, just like we did in, in chapter 6. And when Jesus is giving this, this is a great little parable he puts in here, right? We see that even though we are evil people, even we have good traits that we wouldn't back it down on. It says, whose son would ask for a piece of bread and you would give them a stone instead? Or who would ask for a fish to eat and you would give them a snake instead? Even us as evil people are good we give good gifts. And we aren't God. So how much more is God going to give us when we ask? Obviously, God will do way more than what we, as evil, corrupt, broken people can do. And if we, at least, can give a good gift that will feed someone, comfort someone through the day, what more will God do? And I really like how he 
how Jesus uses these small parables, these small analogies here in chapter 6 and chapter 7, they really relate this to the real world, right? Same as the grass in chapter 6. God will give it to us if we ask. And of course he'll give it to us. I'm going to read verse 11 again, just because it's so powerful. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask of him? So much more. So much more. So we need to seek God first, put them in our daily lives, number one. That's tough. Then we need to ask him. Because when we ask of him, we're humbled, and he will give us what we need. And then the final theme that I saw here in, verse, in chapter 6 and 7 here in Matthew from the Sermon on the Mount is do. We've sought out God. We're putting him first. We're trying to, at least. We're asking him for our daily bread, for our help, for to get us through. And now we need to do something with that. Let's read some more scripture. Uh, Chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. Only two verses. 7, verse 12. So whenever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are very few. He starts off right away with something they're already familiar with, right? A law they already had from the prophets. Do unto others. That's pretty easy, right? That's super simple too. Nothing challenging about any of this scripture. No. That's really hard. And they already knew that. They already knew that they needed to do unto others. But Jesus gives it to them again and says, you need to put this into practice. It's hard to do in our lives. We want to strive for that. But every time we have to make that decision, it's difficult. It's difficult to do unto others. And in verses 13, it says, it's going to be hard. It says that right there with the narrow and wide gate. It says, enter the narrow gate. The narrow gate's the one that leads to life, and very few are going to choose it. It's the hard gate. It's the hard path. But it's the one we need to choose. And you know, observing this world, the wide path is super easy. Going the way that everyone else is going, it's easy to go with the flow. But most of the time, The godly path is not the one that is very well-traveled, is it? The one that society's taking is usually the wide path. It's hard. So do unto others. That's the first part that we see of do here in Matthew 7. And more that we need to do is in verses 24 through 27. So let's read that along too. 7, 24 through 27. read that together. Everyone who hears these words of mine 
and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on that house, but yet it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and a great fall it was. This is a great comparison. Given it to us in the real world again to apply to us, Jesus uses another little parable. It's a great comparison. We, we know about houses. Pretty sure almost everyone here lives in some sort of building. Could call it a house. Um, we're pretty familiar with it. And even the kids know about this, right? We sing a song, the wise man built his house upon the rock. Foolish man built his house upon the sand. What happened to the foolish man's house? Went splat. What happened to the wise man's house? He built it on the rock. Stood strong. So we understand what it means to build a house upon a rock. And we still put foundations on our houses today, right? Because we want them to stand for years and years. And we know that any building that's not built on a strong foundation is going to fall. And when a storm comes and the wind blows and the rain beats upon it, it's going to fall. It's going to go splat. We know that. That's just good house building technique, right? But we need to apply that to us. Let's make ourselves a house, right? As Christians, we need to build upon a solid foundation, build our house upon a rock. And so when the storm comes and the winds blow, we can stand strong through Christ because we built upon that rock. We have a solid foundation. So that's easy to say, just like every single point I've made so far, right? Easy to say, hard to do. How do you build on the rock? It takes a lot of work to build on the rock. I think sitting in this room right now, you can build on the rock. You have all of the words right here to build upon the rock. You have people that are older than you, that have walked in your life. You have great elders here in the Belgrade Church that can build upon the rock. And there's awesome fellowship in this body to help you build that strong foundation. Now, every single one of those things I said takes work. And more importantly, it takes a lot of our time, which is really hard for us in this society, right? We have a lot of things going on it's going to take work. It's going to take time. But if you build on the foundation and you surrender your life to build on the rock, when the storms come and the winds blow, you will stand strong. Otherwise, you've just built on the sand. So that's do. That's the work that you have to put in. You have to seek God first. You have to ask him for what you need. But do, you have to do a lot of things. And it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of time. You need to do unto others and build on the rock. So to conclude, seek, ask, do. 
Is there a lot more than that in the Sermon on the Mount? Most definitely. But those are three themes that I popped out and I saw that just jumped right out to me when I was reading through this. And I think Jesus delivered this in a way that that would definitely be the case. So again, seek. It's tough. Seek him first, number one, every day. That's hard. But that's how we're going to glorify God, continue living as a, as a strong Christian and continue to grow. Two, ask. We're going to need help from God. We're human. We need to ask from him and tell him what our struggles are. And he will deliver because we are worth more than a blade of grass, than a child. We are his creation. And finally, we need to do. We need to put into action what he's telling us. We need to do unto others. We need to build on a firm foundation. And we need to continue to grow in those things. Every single one of these takes work. And I basically just wrote down the things that I need to work on and just told them to you guys today, right? Because every single one of these takes work and I need to work on it too. Appreciate your guys' time this morning. Think about this. Read through Matthew 6 and and 7 here this next week and continue to think about seek, ask, and do. If you'd like to know more about Christianity or you want to become a Christian, we're going to have elders in the back and up front as we stand and sing this next song. Thank you.